It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. You know, I, I don't hold a hose, mate, and I, I don't sit yeah. in control room. They're answers that only can come from Victoria, I'm afraid, because that's not my job. But well, I ain't spending any time, because in the meantime, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. Well, g'day and welcome, listeners, to the Two Jacks, uh, coming all the way around the world and then looking at matters in Australia, political media, etc. And joining me all the way in Hong Kong is Hong Kong Jack. G'day, mate. How are you? Uh, well, I'm recovering. Recovering from a bit of COVID? Yeah, I guess it's about, no, I've almost lost count. I guess it's about number three for me, but yeah. Yeah, they do say that uh, you get a, get, a, get a few of them. You, you might have a few uh, existing uh uh, conditions, you know, they, the, the, the people who get it multiple times. I think Marcus Stoinis, the uh, Australian cricketer, has had uh, COVID four times, I think, four times at the last count, and, and he's had some uh, sort of ongoing issues uh, around that. So you're okay, mate? Well, well I certainly qualify. As far as you know. I, I, I'm, I'm going all right. I certainly qualify with the ongoing conditions. In fact, they had to, do, had to postpone a... Uh, uh, a cardiac catheter procedure, which is due Monday, but I'm going in tomorrow. Going in tomorrow. Good luck with that, mate. I hope it all goes very, very well for you. Um, uh, breaking news today, uh, the ICAC has handed down its findings uh, <coughs> in regard to Gladys Berejiklian and her one-time partner, lover, Daryl Maguire, and the commission has found that Ms Berejiklian engaged in serious corrupt conduct by breaching public trust in 2016 and 2017 through exercising her official functions in relation to funding promised and or awarded to ACTAR uh, without disclosing her close relationship with Mr Maguire when she was in a position of conflict of interest between her public duty and her private interest which could objectively have the potential to influence the performance of her public duty. The Commission also finds that Ms Berejiklian engaged in serious corrupt conduct by refusing to discharge her duty under Section 11 of the ICAC Act to notify the Commission of her suspicion that Mr Maguire had engaged in activities which concerned or might have concerned corrupt conduct. Um, There will be no criminal charges or the ICAC has... uh, (coughs) Has said that uh, uh, that uh, it, they don't believe that it would uh, lead to criminal charges, or it should lead to criminal charges. Jack, where does that leave uh, Gladys Berejiklian, the former Premier of New South Wales? Jack, well, it's a little bit hard to see what she could be criminally charged with. Is the problem that ICAC has with that? Um, 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 in their view, she's acted contrary to law, but she doesn't seem to have acted criminally in any way that I can see. Um, the, um, it leaves her uh, where she was. She's been destroyed. Yet another premier brought down by ICAC. Yeah, well, she is likely to appeal. We understand that she will appeal to the New South Wales Supreme Court that, that this founding has been made. Yep. Um, it is a breaking story. I have had a brief opportunity to have a look at the entire report, and I would say just off the top of my head, the chances of her being cleared by the Supreme Court would be pretty remote, I would think. 
So she has this corrupt finding above her head. It probably won't affect her professional life, um, but I think that that uh, finding will be uh, will stay above her head for the rest of her life. That's because it, it won't affect her professional life very much. That's because the ICAC itself has lost a great deal of standing, if it ever ever, ever had any, uh, because it investigates matters that are essentially political um, uh, and cause them corruption. Well, I can't see that particular argument working here. We have got very serious issues arising in Canberra around Stuart Robert. Uh, he, would, I, I would imagine, will be examined by the new national body, uh, the NACC, um, uh, and we also have some fairly serious findings, not findings, I should say, some fairly serious allegations of, co- of corrupt conduct in public office around Warren Ench that's been examined and explored by the Australian. I'm not sure that I buy this argument that there's no corruption in Australia, Jack. Uh, well, I'm, or, I'm, I'm, not making, I'm not making an argument of that effect. Yeah. What I'm so, If you want to look at the history of it, the, the reason the New South Wales ICAC is not fit for purpose, in my view, is that Gary Sturgis come up to Hong Kong and modelled um, the New South Wales ICAC on the ICAC here in Hong Kong. The ICAC here in Hong Kong was fixing a very different sort of problem to the corruption in New South Wales. There, there is corruption in New South Wales and always will be. Um, uh, it's baked into the system uh, from the very foundation of the state of New South Wales. From the, from the arrival of the first fleet. Um, but the corruption in, in, in Hong Kong was of an entirely different kind and a different matter. We had police sergeants bidding for the job of being come, becoming Sergeant Wan Chai because it was the most profitable police sergeancy uh, in the colony. Um, that's not how it works in New South Wales, never was quite how it worked in New South Wales. So the thing was designed badly from the beginning and it operates badly. Uh, in this situation, Gladys Berejiklian, people say, oh, she could have just stood aside while um, uh, ICAC conducted its inquiry. That's two years. You can't survive politically two years standing aside. Yeah, but that's, she shouldn't have acted corruptly, Jack, in the first place. Well, well in, in my view, what she did is not corruption. It's, it's shabby politics. Well, she won't be charged with any offence, but she was indeed handing out public money uh, uh, to uh, to uh, into an electorate with an MP that she was engaged in a sexual relationship with, that was undisclosed to her colleagues, undisclosed to anybody. Yeah, shabby um, politics. I agree. <coughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, my view is I, no ICAC and 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 that sort of cohort of scumbags from. From, uh, from the previous Labor government would still be running around. Um, uh, you, you really do need to have these, these things. I mean, when, when we look at Victoria's ICAC and the IBAC, it, it really is a toothless tiger. You do need something that conducts public hearings. You do need something that uh, investigates matter, has an investigative element, so the ability to engage in phone intercepts, electronic surveillance, that sort of thing, where there is a where there is a view that that corrupt conduct may have uh, occurred in public office. I've uh, got no, I've got no objection to having anti-corruption commissions. Um, I just think the New South Wales version, they need to tear up the act and start again. 
Well, that is, uh, what have we got? One, two, three premiers now. I mean, O'Farrell was probably the, um, who's now, I think, uh, the, uh, the High, high commissioner, commissioner in India. India, yeah, yeah. Is uh, <clears throat> probably the unluckiest. Um, uh, a Griner, who actually created the ICAC, uh, was stitched up um, uh, by it, and that ultimately was overturned. Uh, Berejiklian will have um, uh, her opportunity to have this matter. Uh, to have this finding reviewed by the Supreme Court. And I think that's entirely appropriate. But as it stands, she engaged in serious corrupt conduct. That's the finding of the ICAC, and she'll have to live with that. That's because their definition of corruption um, is just incorrect. What they need to have, if you're going to have a a commission against corruption, and I've got no objection to that at all, in fact, it's probably a pretty good idea, what you need to do is define corruption properly. And it shouldn't extend so far as to uh, as to include what really is shabby political political, um, conduct. Well, if... If Daryl was just having a leg over it and no one knew about it, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Well, that's, but, but when if it that's becomes, the case, it's nobody's business. No, that's right. And, and that, 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 that's absolutely right. But when she is allocating public funds as treasurer and then as premier, but basically as treasurer, uh, while she's engaged in a relationship with this man, with this man uh, and <clears throat> arranging for public funds to be made on the you know, uh, on the basis of um, applications that uh, would not have got through uh, a- any sort of uh, proper examination. Uh, and, and like I said, she had an undisclosed relationship with, with the fellow at the time. They ended up losing the seat, by the way. Mm. Um, <clears throat> well, but, well, that's, uh, that's, that's the proper... That is indeed the proper consequences. The, the, the consequence, the actions political. The consequences should be political. I can't see anything in what I've read of it so far that would justify the laying of charge. She hasn't acted criminally. She's indulged in shabby politics. That's my view of it, anyway. Well, all I'll tell you, Jack, is have a look at the report. It is on my very quick read this morning. Absolutely comprehensive, and I'll have a little bet with you now, if you like that the New South Wales Supreme Court will, will not overturn it. Well, it'd want to be comprehensive. It's taken them two and a half years to do it. That's why, Jack. That's why. I mean, they did delay the release around the New South Wales state election, um, but uh, that is why, that they got all their ducks in a row. Very, very comprehensive report. Um, take a look at it, and then uh, we'll, we'll chase up, and you can tell me what you think. Yeah, can, can I just say one thing about this? The process is the punishment with, with, with the New South Wales ICAC. All three of those premiers have gone. Um, uh, two of them at least would have survived had they appealed. Um, uh, Griner did appeal uh, and it was chucked out. Um, O'Farrell certainly would have survived um, and perhaps Berejiklian may or may not, may not have survived. But none of that mattered because the process took so long and it was so, the process was so wrong in itself that, that killed their political careers. Well, O'Farrell, O'Farrell, O'Farrell basically misled the ICAC and resigned that night. Um, so that's not a process. I mean, that's a, that's a process that's less than 24 hours long. Um, uh, this one has gone on a long time, I grant you, but that is to get basically everything in a row, their ducks in a row. Now, now um, her former lover, Daryl Maguire, uh, is in serious trouble. Uh, he is facing a number of criminal charges and will face 
even more, including lying to the ICAC, um, uh, <clears throat> he will face those sorts of charges too. So you would have to say without the ICAC, none of this would have come about. None of this would have been brought to the light of the public. That's that's, that's the first thing I'd say. Yeah. Uh, well, scrap it and start again, is my view. Uh, well, okay, well, uh, we're going to disagree on that. Uh, look, uh, Simon Crean has been uh, a, a wonderful a wonderful Labor figure for a very long time. Very sad to see he died and, and died uh, overseas, which makes it even more difficult for his family. A great Labor man, Jack. Yeah, he was. Um, he and Bill Kelty were the first of a, a whole generation. It was a whole changing of the guard. They were the first university educated um, who uh, union officials who didn't come up through the ranks. They went straight from university to uh, relatively senior jobs in what we used to refer to as the stackers and whackers, uh, yeah, the federated Stormen and Packers yeah. Union. Um, uh, and this has become a whole career path since then. You know, you look, you look around federal parliament and it's quite full of people who have worked, um, uh, who left university and then went, went and worked for um, uh, blue-collar trade unions, effectively, you know. Um, uh, so they started that trend and they were very, very good at it. And he was a... A significant political um, uh, figure in the Labor Party and in the union movement. Um, some great achievements. Some, like everybody else who's done a long career, some less some less great moments. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, and, a, and, a, and a very nice man to be. Yeah, uh, that's what seems to be the uh, the case uh, in terms of people's recollections of Simon Crean. Um, uh, just a really decent fellow, a decent, a person who understood public service. Uh, if, if you're going to look for a single highlight of his political career, in my view, um, uh, is that uh, with with Bill Kelty, um, uh, by this stage they were both at the ACTU, um, uh, and with Hawke and Keating, they whacked together the prices and incomes accord. Uh, sorry, the, um, uh, the, the, the incomes accord yes. um, during the Hawke government, which helped set the stage for um, the 30 years of uninterrupted economic growth. That's right. And, and basically the trade-off around the, the, the accord was um, uh, <coughs> that uh, wage rises would be um, uh, – uh, I mean, this is the thing that, 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 that blighted the Whitlam government, that you had wages spinning out of control trying to keep up with inflation. And while inflation was a beast that was yet to be slayed by the Hawke and Keating governments, uh, the Accords came along, which basically provided a balance between um, between uh, uh, between wage increases and inflation, and yeah. allowed inflation to, the dragon to be slayed. It's back again, of course, but uh, in in those times, uh, and Simon Crean was was uh, I believe uh, absolutely. Uh, um, uh, critical to to arranging that uh, accord, and you have to go to your your uh, uh, your union members and say this is this is what we've done. We've traded off your um, uh, pay increases uh, to to enable the economy to move along slowly, and in the end, we you know you will all benefit. And the trade union movement fell into fell into line there. Yeah, well, all four of those, um, Hawke, Keating, uh, Crean and Kelty, had learnt the lessons from the Whitlam government. Um, now, uh, 
all four of them will have different views about who was largely responsible for it, um, uh, given the egos involved. Yeah. Um, but um, in, in my view, that's if you're going to look at the history, uh, uh, Simon Crane's history, um, that's his crowning achievement. Of course, uh, the son of Frank, and uh, Frank was a treasurer in the Whitlam government. Yes. One of not any great note, I would say, Jack, in terms of uh, how history would portray his uh, treasurership. Uh, or perhaps he was one of those who'd been in opposition for, ver- for a very, very long time. Um, and by the time the government came to pass, um, you know, they were perhaps past their best. There was quite a few of those in that first in that first yeah, government. I think that's yeah. a fairly fair representation. A, a, yeah. a, a truly a, tr- a true Labor giant, and that is in fact what opposition leader Peter Dutton said of Simon Green. Simon was a gentleman to deal with and a giant of the Labor movement. Treasurer Jim Chalmers tweeted, "Decent, generous, and wonderful company." A lifetime of dedication to our country and its working people won't be forgotten. And, of course, our Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, uh, said, uh, Simon was a great servant of the Labor Party and of the broader Labor movement. Above all, he was a thoroughly decent human being who was kind, generous and always of good humour. This brought him respect across the political spectrum. Uh, Very sad. Just to bring it into current political perspective, uh, Jim Chalmers could use... Um, uh, Bill Kelty, um, Simon Crean and, and Bob Hawke to help him um, uh, in the current battle against inflation. Oh, absolutely. But couldn't they all, Jack? Couldn't, couldn't uh, treasurers, um, treasurers for the last 20 years have done, done with that too? Hmm. Um, it's, it's just never been more relevant. That's the difference. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jack, uh, Simon, of course, was a was a proud Victorian and a North Melbourne barracker, of course. I think he was number one ticket holder at North yeah, for a long time. Uh, a, a Middle Park resident all his life, I think. But, yes, a North Melbourne barracker. Yeah. I lived in Middle Park for a long time, and that was Middle Park when it was a bit working class, Jack. It's not anymore, um, yeah. of course. Um, uh, but uh, John Ferguson of The Australian has been reporting on a bit of factional uproar in the Labor Party in Victoria where the left is ascendant. Uh, indeed, my old faction. Yeah, well, it, you know, of course, Dan Andrews is a member of the SL faction. Um, you, there are times when you wouldn't know it to look at him, but yes, he's very much that. that and, and when we get into transition, I mean, there's been a lot of talk, particularly amongst our friends in the Cooker community, that Dan Andrews was 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 about to retire. There were a few stories in that. Herald's son that seemed to indicate that he was organising a transition. That's all been denied. Um, but the SL is in the ascendancy there. Where does that leave? Where does that leave Labor in the, in the event of a transition, Jack? Um, well, one thing you have to remember about Victorian Labor internal politics is they're fairly fluid. Um, at the moment, the socialist left is the biggest single faction. Um, but there are two now, uh, really two right-wing factions. One, um, let's say, headed by Richard Miles uh, and the other one headed by um, uh, Bill Shorten. Um, and the Miles faction is the bigger and the more stable, I suppose. The Bill Shorten factor um, um, is sort of centred around the Australian Workers' Union. Um, uh, and... Um, uh, it, but they have all different sorts of cross-alliances. Um, so at the moment, um, the socialist left faction is shored up by its relationship with the Miles faction. 
All right. Thanks for that, Jack. Thanks for the background there. Uh, Victorian factional politics, uh, Labor, Liberal. Well, we've got to, we, I guess we can't let this subject go without talking about the Libs who've uh, pre-selected, I would describe, uh, a fairly uh, conservative candidate, religious right member uh, to run in Warrandyte. And there'll be a by-election there after the retirement uh, of the sitting Liberal member. They'll probably win the seat, Jack. But the sort of candidate they've thrown up tells me that they really haven't learned. They're not learning very fast. Yeah, well, these things take time. Well, they've got a religious right faction that's dominant within the party, within the party state council. Um, I can't remember any mem- how many members there are in total, a, a couple of hundred, but but there's a great thumping whack of people who are from the religious right and they essentially become unelectable. <coughs> you know, collectively by state, and that's one of their big big issues at the moment. I suggested a couple of weeks ago they should just go get into one room and just punch on, and just get rid of it. You know, basically just uh, just uh, get their uh, get their feud and done and dusted, and then move or move on. But it's a bit a bit bit easy to say. Pizzato himself uh, is really under threat. Almost constantly, and I'd see a um, a poll there had their primary vote at twenty six percent. We used happens. to call that we used to call that having a state conference in the Victorian Outback. <laughs> That's what they need. Jack. That's what they need to do. Leave your Bibles at the door and let's punch on. Mm. Um, all right, now the lawyer X business, Jack. Uh, um, uh, hard to believe, isn't it? That um, uh, that uh, after all the shenanigans. All the lies that were told to the uh, to the public, uh, all the the, uh, the 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 high court challenge to keep the lawyer X business out of the media. Um, you would imagine there have been various uh, attempts to pervert the course of justice, but uh, the Victorian uh, DPP says no, everything's fine. No one needs to be charged. What's going on there? No. No, no, she's uh, – well, a little bit of context. The Victorian government in the end appointed a former Victorian Supreme Court judge and later High Court judge, Geoffrey Nettle, to investigate this, uh, and he made recommendations that um, charges be laid, but um, the decision as to whether the charges um, uh, would actually be laid um, resided with the – I think it's called the Office of Public Prosecution. In, uh, yeah, it is Victoria. OPP, um, yeah. Um, uh, um, Ms Kerry Judd, KC, um, and ultimately the decision as to whether uh, she thought there was a viable case uh, rested with her. And, and as we've discussed with um, the Brittany Higgins thing and indeed the George Pell thing, a difference of opinion as to whether someone should be charged is not a novel thing. Um, these things happen from time to time. Uh, and it's her view um, that uh, there isn't a reasonable prospect of securing a conviction um, uh, in these cases, and so no one should be charged. And indeed, well, the Victorian government has now disbanded um, uh, the inquiry head of uh, <laughs> Of course they would, Jack. That, 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 that's on his recommendation. He said, you either got to charge people or disband it. So they are. Right. So let, let's talk a little bit about the relationship between police and prosecutors, Jack. Because this is really important. Um, uh, police and prosecutors rely on each other to obtain mm. prosecutions, for the most part. 
there is a very close relationship that is almost at the same time hands length, at, at arm's length. Um, As it needs to be. Oh, look, absolutely. But what I'm saying is uh, it might not be, uh, shall we say, and I'll talk about this in the, um, uh, <coughs> in the general sense, that it might not be a very good idea for an OPP to go around prosecuting a whole bunch of police, including senior police. Uh, this would have been mainly retired former, very senior police, up to and including a former chief commissioner. Oh, a couple of them. Yeah. Um, uh, I've got no basis whatsoever for saying that Kerry Judd has um, uh, has refrained from prosecuting um, uh, police out of any desire to continue have, to have a good relationship with police. No, I've got no basis for saying that at all. In fact, I kind of doubt it's true. I just want to talk about the amount of public money that was spent by police in order to try and keep this this matter secret, Jack. You know, they, they went all the way to the High Court. They, they, they suppressed information for years and almost a decade to, in order for this story to come out. Now, it, it relates, of course, to the Melbourne gangland wars and then, then obtaining inside information from Lawyer X, and we all know, basically who that is now, and Lawyer X was representing various gangland figures and then providing information to police um, that she obtained under, you know, client uh, confidence. Um, and then uh, the rest of us, well, when we saw the Melbourne gangland wars unfold and then the prosecutions uh, that, that took place, uh, and the and the and the crime figures that were uh, convicted and jailed, there was there were quite a while. There's a couple of blokes we still can't mention. They got Supreme Court um, uh, <coughs> uh, suppression orders on their very names, uh, who had become what we believe were were um, um, had, had had basically flipped and given crown evidence against people like Williams, um, uh, but it wasn't like that at all. I mean, a lot of the information they were obtaining were, had come from information that had been obtained by Lawyer X. Yeah, so, well, there are there are a number of challenges or, or appeals um, uh, against con convictions that are based on um, uh, the involvement of Lawyer X. Uh, yeah, and they and they are still playing out, and some of yeah. those I think are subject to suppression orders as well. But. Um, uh, that will all run its course in the, uh, uh, through the um, the Supreme Court and I, I dare say the Court of Appeal in Victoria. Well, because we're going to have a lot of gangsters getting out of jail, Jack. That's what's um, going to happen. Some we, fairly we, serious types getting out. There've been there've been a number released already. Yeah, and there'll uh, be some uh, more, I would think. How many we don't know. And, and so the public was duped into believing that this was fine police work when, in, in fact, was obtaining information illegally. And at the end of the day, no one gets charged. Wow. All yeah. right. Um, the Voice, Jack, it, it, it looks like it's going to hell. Uh, news poll on uh, Monday uh, had uh, losses in South Australia, West Australia, Tasmania and Queensland. Can it be resurrected? Should it be postponed? Um, I don't think well, it can well, be postponed now without yeah. an act of parliament. Well, well, of course, it can be postponed. Um, uh, that's a politically difficult um, uh, choice for the government to make. Um, my view of it hasn't much changed. I think it could succeed. I just think it probably won't. 
Um, it doesn't uh, look it, good it, at it, the moment. I notice, uh, I notice uh, Peter Dutton has released a six-page pamphlet, which I presume is going out in the mail uh, to I guess, most Australians. Uh, no, it's, go- it's going out to his constituency. Oh, just to his constituency. Well, that's a little mm. bit different. I, I, my view was that the, the more Peter Dutton gets involved in this, the more likely the yes vote is going to be to yeah. get up. Well, you've said that all along. I, I, don't, I don't really think the party politics of this is all that relevant and, and never has been. Oh, it is. It absolutely, because it cannot, that, 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 that it cannot be removed now. The, the Liberal Party has stood as the party of no on this. The National Party, its junior coalition member, has stood as the party of no. And, 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 and their combined vote is, what, 40%. So that can't defeat the, the referendum. The people who are going to decide this um, are by and large people who vote, a, you know, vote for Labor or vote for the coalition or vote whichever way it suits them. Um, the 40% that... You know, the 30 or 40% that Dutton and Little Proud control isn't enough to defeat it. For the, re- for the referendum to lose, it takes much more than that, which is why I don't think Dutton's all that relevant. And I don't think Albanese's all that relevant, except that he holds the choice as to whether, whether um, what goes in the proposal. That's his relevance. Um, but, but Dutton can't kill this referendum on his own. Can't go anywhere near killing the referendum on his own. I don't. Think. No, no, that's 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 true. But it, but it, it, it carries with him a, a block of votes uh, that will that will go no on this. Particularly, I would I would suggest in Queensland. Um, so it's not. It's I, I just don't buy the, the 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 your theory that basically the po- the political play doesn't mean anything. I think it does mean a great deal, and I think it will have profound impacts for uh, Peter Dutton and Anthony Albanese going forward. So let's let's presume that it fails, that the polling is right and it fails. That would be a significant well, let's go loss. Let's get back to the, back to the polling for, 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 for a moment. The most significant bit of the polling, um, I thought, I mean, the, the trend is going down for the yes vote, but what remained relatively stationary was the undecideds at 10%. Yeah, that is that is interesting. No. Yeah, so, you've got so, them around ten. So what that tells you is that it isn't the, the rise in the no vote isn't coming from the undecideds. The rise in the no vote is coming from people who've changed their mind Possibly. from going to vote yes to now going to vote no. That's you'd need to look at the data. You, I mean, that, that, that's possibly true, but it, you'd need to look at the data to make that sort of conclusion. Um, I, I think there are going to be profound political consequences um, for for those in Canberra. Um, um, uh, Albanese, if it fails, certainly will be, you know, stained by it. Uh, I don't know where we go with uh, Indigenous reconciliation if it loses. Um, I, I don't know where that will that where that will will go. I think Peter Dutton will be stained by his opposition to it for for a great for for a very long time, and at least until the next federal election, where people in Victoria and New South Wales who are essentially going to determine the outcome of the federal election are going to feel a little bit. Uh, they're not going to feel all that warmly towards Peter Dutton. So there are political consequences everywhere. Yeah, there are. Um, this has been fixable all along, um, but it requires some political courage and will to fix it, and that's never been present. 
All right. So it can't be postponed unless, uh, without an Act of Parliament. That's my understanding, right? Yes, that would that's be correct. It, it, yeah, it, so it, it, would, it would require an, a further Act of Parliament to, um, to effectively rescind um, the Act that passed a week or so ago. I'd have to ask, Jack, what, and we know that people like Peter Garrett have had a profound influence uh, on uh, white Australians in regard to um, Indigenous reconciliation, but those sort of loud, um, louder voices, they've been fairly silent up to now, haven't they? Um, and I, I just wonder where they when they're going to start weighing in. You know, the the, the Peter Garretts, the uh, the Paul Kellys, those sorts of people. Yeah, um, uh, I, I know this is a very unrepresentative sample. Sample, in fact, it's anecdotal, really. But I've spoken to a number of people who I would have expected to support the the yes vote, um, and um, and inevitably they tell me um, that they don't mention this in public, but they just don't support it. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think the way it's been set up, I'll, I'll just probably wrap it up here, is that it's easy to knock off. It's it's actually easy to run a scare campaign. I, I, I was looking at Warren Mundine quoting from Rebel News, you know. Warren, mate, I can show you their backlist if you like and you can tell me if you think it's a reputable news, or, news organisation. Um, I, I, I think, you know, whenever... Someone like um, uh, Nampajina has is Jacinda uh, Price. Nampajina, Nampajina is is asked about this stuff. Okay, so what would you do? Oh, we just need to make. We just need to spend more money where it's needed most. I think that's basically her her statement. I would focus efforts as to where those most disadvantaged people exist, as opposed to treating all Indigenous Australians as if we're all disadvantaged because of our heritage. Haven't we been doing that, Jack? Haven't we been doing that already? Um, uh, there's been no lack of goodwill or money to try and no. fix the problem of indig Indigenous disadvantage. Um, I personally um, have no faith whatsoever that a constitutional change is going to fix that. Um, that what, what that requires is hard work and more diligence and better ideas, um, but a constitutional change is not going to alter that in my view. Well, um, but look, the, the look, better look, ideas this is, this is have kind of to fire. come from Indigenous Australians. That's the point here. We, the, 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 this is the whole reason for the voice. And and I always, when people talk to me about the voice, I say, well, look at this from a policy framework, for, to, from from within a policy idea. That let's say um, uh, the issue of um, uh, of 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 dry communities in Northern Territory in the top end. <laughs> let's let's talk about that now. White people can sit around and say, "Yes, we want grog bans." Uh, <coughs> uh, Indigenous Australians can say can come forth and say um, uh, they want grog bans, and, and in the end, that decision making or the the advice on that decision making needs to come from Indigenous Australians, not from white people, because we just can continue to get these things wrong. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I. A large part of the Australian population would agree with you about that, but don't see the need to make constitutional change to get there. And that's a problem. That's <coughs> inevitably a problem with trying to change the constitution in Australia. I just don't think the, the right thought went into how to go about this, not the right process and not the right proposal. All right. 
Now we've got to move and, over. And, 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 and I'll say it every time, that's just a wasted opportunity in my view. Oh, look, if it fails, Jack, I really worry that the opportunity and it, it is the opportunity of, 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 of real reconciliation with Indigenous Australians will have passed for a very, very long time. And I just don't know where we go from that. And I think that's one of the things that we need to look at when we talk about the voice. For for, for you might talk about its its uh, shortcomings, but the voice would actually be an expression of a, a, a willingness to reconcile. Uh, and in and in its absence, I just don't know where we go. I just don't know where we go after that. And, and that's that's the shame of it. And the shame of it will be that we continue to throw money in the wrong areas. It's often misused. It's often uh, going to, uh, to, to to people who need it least. Um, and, uh, and it's all sort of being defined by uh, state and federal governments. Mm. Um, and and well, I just well, think there's, there's, a, there's a better way to short circuit that and create a symbolic step forward. I mean, you mentioned um, uh, constitutional recognition, but that in itself is really just hollow symbolism. It doesn't mean anything in the end. It doesn't 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 you know take us any further in in, in steps towards reconciliation. Yeah, what I, I, we really need is is a country to be at peace with itself and its history, and, and that is and a that- really profound concept. And and people aren't being being uh, offered that opportunity. Aren't being offered that understanding that this is not just for Indigenous Australians, this is about bringing peace to our entire community. And, and that's why I've argued about its shortcomings because that's uh, the process and the proposal utterly failed to do that. The process, because it didn't involve all Australians, it involved just 10% of the population. <coughs> and, and, and the proposal, because it doesn't do that, in my view, um, it's... It, it, I'm cross about it because it's a wasted opportunity. Right. We'll see how we go. It's not looking good. It is not looking good. I don't think I'm saying anything unusual there. Um, And God only knows where we go if it fails. Um, Russia, Jack, uh, Saturday uh, afternoon and into the evening exploded as Yevgeny Prigozhin's Wagner Group uh, drove up the highway towards Moscow, shot down six Russian aircraft, uh, five helicopters and a, uh, and an aerial command post, uh, killing 13 fighters. And then it stopped and uh, the Belarusian president stepped in and provided Prigozhin with, an ex- with exile and, uh, and Vladimir Putin... Uh, Ladashenko has since said that Putin wanted him killed uh, and Ladashenko said, uh, you can either stop this or you'll be crushed like a bug. So he chose the former and uh, and is now sitting somewhere in exile in Belarus, probably Minsk. So what happens to uh, the former hot dog vendor in St. Petersburg, Jack? Would be selling him any life insurance? Uh, not really, No. You'd be staying in, uh, stay on the ground floor. There's a lovely, um, you know, there's a, a TV program in Australia called um, uh, "Move to the Country" or something. Um, uh, I was know, thinking um, of that about him. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and someone had mocked up an ad, you know, for a uh, uh, a caterer who's sick of the hustle and bustle of Moscow and uh, looking for a country retreat um, uh, somewhere in Belarus. Um, uh, ground floor only, 
um, <laughs> uh, no large windows um, uh, and plenty of outbuildings just in case his opera-loving friends turned up to visit. Oh, well, look, and then there's, the, oh, look, herbal teas. Oh, mm. herbal teas. Yeah, I might have a tea. Would you like a cuppa? Would you like a cuppa, Evgeny? <laughs> a cup of tea, it'll be a, you'll be surprised what what a just a sit-down and a cup of tea will do for you. Mm. So Prigozhin probably hasn't got that long to live. I suspect while he still has influence uh, with uh, Wagner Group, um, uh, and the soldiers that are now, the soldiers, those mercenaries uh, who are now being um, uh, being pushed into the Russian military um, are, uh, uh, are going to be profound Prigozhin fans. But uh, once uh, once that sort of once, once that sort of eases back, I, I suspect uh, that the uh, Evgeny might have a few problems. Um, but that's just that's just that. So, so, so it was explained to me, and you actually sent me the link that there was a sort of Russian military expert who talked about um, the way that uh, uh, the way that Wagner was going to be used as a sort of support force, as a reinforcement force behind as as the uh, Ukrainians break through Russian lines, and they are starting to do that now. That uh, that it would that, that they would come up once they'd done that that they would come up against. Uh, um, uh, the Wagner Group there, so it does diminish um, Russia's defensive abilities um, as uh, as the counteroffensive rolls on. Uh, there's not a lot to be said for it, and uh, and from on my reading, there's not a lot not a lot to be seen for the counteroffensive so far. So the prospect of quagmire in eastern Ukraine continues, um, but uh, but the Ukrainian army. That has been a very, very strong and successful defensive force. Now has to change roles and get into a counter-offensive, counter-offensive mode. And there is some disquiet among the Americans and the Europeans about their ability to do that, Jack. Well, I think you and I agreed um, some months ago that it's a, a vastly different um, uh, military exercise defending a country as it is to trying to take um, occupied territory back. Mm. And um, uh, and perhaps they have the skills and ability and perhaps they don't. And at the moment, um, they're not making very much progress. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Wagner Group itself, which will now, or its soldiers, most of whom have been uh, uh, <coughs> taken from prison, uh, often facing long prison terms for, for violent offending, including murder. Uh, do, uh, do they have to sit through the ring cycle before they join? Or? <laughs> it's... I, I saw Yevgeny addressing addressing the troops. He was basically at a Russian prison saying, you come and join us. If you don't measure up, you'll be executed. And that, that and we would do that within a day. So there's um, a fair amount of motivation if you're going to join uh, Wagner Group to do as you're told. Um, uh, but I just want to talk about Wagner Group. There, there is a very, um, a very good, uh, a documentary video being prepared by the Wall Street Journal. I referred to it in a piece that I wrote yesterday. Um, it goes for 40 minutes, um, so it's long, but it's well worth your time. Um, uh, if you can, uh, uh, listeners, uh, if you want to locate it, um, uh, you can find my piece or you can find it on The Australian. Um, it, it, Wagner Group is often uh, um, defined or described as a, as a mercenary outfit, which is true in part, but the real issue is that it is a sort of criminal cartel that's active in four continents, been very, very um, active in Africa, 
uh, also uh, in Peru, um, also in Syria, and of course in Ukraine. Um, and they're, they're basically, they're, it's almost like they're corporate thieves. So there are about 2,000, um, as I understand it, 2,000 soldiers uh, active, 2,000 Wagner Group soldiers, mercenaries active in Africa. They're ripping the place off. Uh, the money goes uh, to Prigozhin and then to Putin. Um, it would not be a bad thing if Prigozhin did fall out of a window, Jack, uh, but what's it going to do to Vladimir Putin? And I'd suggest the answer is we don't quite know yet. Um, we generally find out, in, in countries like Russia, we generally find out exactly what happened about five or six years after it happened. Uh, yeah, it's often the way. I mean, Russia is, Russia is if, if, is, if anything, a place of palace intrigues and coup attempts. I did I mean, notice- I mean, just, just, just to give you an example, <coughs> we look at the end days of Mao Zedong in, 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 in what, what China, a very different China than, than we have today, but what it was like then. Um, uh, none of the reporting at the time um, uh, really covered uh, the acrimony and um, uh, conflict between Mao Zedong and Zhao Anlai, his premier. Uh, we found out about that about half a dozen years later, right? Um, and this is what inevitably happens. And I suspect the same thing will happen in Russia, is that we'll find out exactly how that palace intrigue went, um, uh, you know, uh, in, a, in about uh, 2033, I did see Putin yesterday. Um, he was at a service um, mourning the 13 uh, um, uh, aircraft or, or, or air servicemen who were who, who died in the um, in the Wagner attacks. Uh, still looked pretty angry, um, and uh, and and uh, looked like he was going to square up. But this does, you would think, offer the Ukrainians an opportunity. Um, uh, whether it means that Putin could go at any minute or not, uh, it, 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 that's probably a little bit bold to say. Um, I see the Latvian prime uh, uh, foreign minister, now president-elect, he's, he made of it. I don't think anyone really knows what's going on in Russia and I don't think the government of Russia knows what's going on in Russia, which is a pretty sort of pointed pointed quote. I quite a, kind of liked it. There were some yeah, really... Well, I, and I think that's, I think that's quite right. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's the way to look at, the best way to look at this, because it's just too hard to peer through the mire. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, he seems to retain wide support amongst Russians. But the history of that, again, the history of that is that sometimes that um, uh, can disappear quite quickly through a cascade effect that people are, yes, publicly they'll say, yes, we support him, but then once they realise other people don't, it disappears very quickly. But you just don't, we just don't know is the answer. Um, but on the ground in Ukraine, um, uh, there are certainly reports that, as you said, of disappointment from uh, Ukraine's partners uh, with the amount of progress they're making. Yeah. It is a difficult thing. It is a difficult thing. I just want to talk through it. Elon Musk thought it was a psyop, Jack. Thought the Russians were having it, pulling our legs. <laughs> there were some pretty ordinary takes on the on the weekend, it must be said. There, there were no shortage of them from all over the place, some bad yeah. takes. Yeah. I did notice, and I did write about this, Jeremy Corbyn has been rocked into silence, Jack. He doesn't quite know <laughs> what to make of it. 
uh, and uh, and his uh, his left wing uh, stop the war, which is not stop the war. They don't want to stop the war. They just want to. They just want to stop NATO uh, arming arming Ukraine, so Putin can basically grab hold of vast tracts of territory in the Ukraine and negotiate from a position of strength, which is idiocy, like you wouldn't believe. Uh, MTG, who's never. Uh, short of uh, some insane thoughts, um, uh, that's uh, the uh, uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. She said, after our government has been funding a proxy war with Russia in Ukraine for over a year, I sure hope our government isn't behind a coup attempt currently happening in Russia. Got no evidence, but I'll just put it out there. Other people sort of thought that uh, Prigozhin was a CIA operative, Jack. That would be a black op. Wouldn't it? That'd be a black op and a half, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's he, just to give you an idea. He he he, he um, has known Putin since around about nineteen ninety three, as far as I can can tell, and that was when Putin uh, was in charge of casino regulation, uh, and there were casinos being uh, being created in St Petersburg and Moscow. Uh, and that's when they got to know each other, and then he became sort of Putin's chef uh, when he re- and when he opened a number of restaurants in St Petersburg. And you've got some lovely file footage of oh, who did we see? Jacques Chirac uh, eating there. Um, uh, George uh, George W uh, eating there with with uh, Putin. And uh, oh, you know, various European leaders have been served food by Prigozhin, who's sort of sitting in the background there. Um, and uh, he, Putin is just uh, sorry. Uh, Prigozhin is now just uh, one of well, had been one of Putin's, you know, blaggers, thieves, um, violent thugs running around, basically stripping other countries of their wealth. I, I, I wondered whether he was really a chef in the in the um, uh, Gordon Ramsay mould or whether he was a chef in the Pete Clemenza um, uh, uh, role in the in the Godfather, you know, the fellow who cooks up the spaghetti before they go out and shoot people. Well, there's, there's also a bit of that. Um, yeah, it, it, it really did It really did sort of rattle the cookers, but particularly those people who support Putin. Speaking, speaking of caterers, yes. Yeah, well, there you go, yeah. Um, uh, it really did rattle their brains for a long time and they weren't quite sure what to make of it. Um, uh, look, definitely an unfolding situation, but it has exposed a lot of people, to, a lot of people, particularly from what we might call probably wrongly the conservative right, uh, who really wanted uh, uh, the, uh, the, the the Russians, uh, the Ukrainians and the Russians and the, and the Americans and the Chinese to sit down and basically reward the invading country with territory. Um, and uh, this has got a long way to go. What we don't want to see is quagmire in eastern U- eastern Ukraine. But quagmire would be better than allowing tanks into Kiev and then sitting down and negotiating a peace from that point of view. It would. Um, we were a little irreverent about um, uh, Mr. Putin and his long tables. Yes, um, uh, uh, but I noticed that the more recent footage from the last few days, he, he that's now he's now only oh you know four or five feet from the nearest official who's talking to him. Had the black suit on uh, on Saturday night Australian time and looked pretty angry, Jack. I don't think it was mm. a psyop. Um, 
but uh, we'll move on and see that Hunter Biden. Let's have a quick talk about Hunter Biden, Jack. He's taken a, a, a plea deal where he where he will be found guilty of not filing tax returns for a couple of years, um, which is a pretty rare prosecution in the United States, Jack. Um. Because a lot of people don't always file taxes in the United States, and they tend not to get convicted for it. It's not that rare a prosecution um, if your tax problems are quite as significant as his. He did, yeah. He does have yeah, quite um, a few problems, and uh, and there are, and, and he it was also a gun charge in that um, uh, in that he when he filled out his form to uh, to get a a permit to carry a gun. Um, he neglected to mention um, uh, that he was a um, a, a, a cocaine user, co- a crack cocaine user. Well, is that a box tick? You got to tick the box on. You, you do. <laughs> but all that's been waived, of course, because he's just got these two convictions for not filing tax returns. Um, but yeah. yeah, there were payments. He's <laughs> he's not only made payments. There's nothing wrong with. It. I'm not going to kink shame the guy. The guy, the guys, uh, the guys paid for prostitutes and drugs, and he's gone to sex clubs and those sorts of things. But declaring it on your tax, getting a little bit back from the government on that, it's a it's a it's a bit iffy. Well, claiming it on your tax, not just declaring. Yeah, that's it, what but, I mean. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah. claiming. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, claiming it as a business expense. Business expense, uh, as, uh, as David oh, Burge from Austin, Texas, says, uh, said on Twitter, "Does anybody know the name of his accountant?" Asking for a friend. Um, when uh, when President Joe Biden was asked, he said he loves he loves his son. And that's a fair sort of... Yes, well, Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times says that's the real story of the Hunter Biden um, uh, um, plea deal. It's nothing to do with the gun or the tax charges or anything else he might have been doing. What it's really about is the story of a father's love for a son and the redemption that the father's love for for a son can give a using crack crack cocaine addict. So uh, uh, Hunter's uh, Hunter's uh, uh, lawyer, you don't know who his accountant is, but he's obviously a genius. Um, but uh, his his, his uh, counsel says an extensive five year long investigation conducted by the United States Department of Justice concluded this week, which resulted in my client taking responsibility for two instances of misdemeanor failure to file tax returns, as well as a firearm charge, failing to disclose that you're on cocaine. I mean, gee whiz. Uh, I wonder where that where that people, license, people, where the license application would have taken place. Because in Texas, there'd be, no bo- there'd be no box to tick. Are you a current cocaine user? No, no, no. Just pick one from the shelf and take it away now. Um, sadly, there are people who were jailed for this. <clears throat> it's one of those raft of charges, like some of the RICO charges, that the federal um, uh, law enforcement people in the United States use to pick up people they suspect of something else. So the idea that this is a rare thing to charge someone with in the United States is just not right. Donald Trump, Jack, very, very briefly, uh, CNN released a recording of a conversation with the Trumpster talking about referring uh, in a meeting to uh, a top-secret document that he obtained that we believe, or CNN tells us, uh, was a a report uh, prepared uh, for the Trumpster when he was president 
on the invasion of Iran, Jack. And he was kind of waving it around, but it's not immediately clear on the tape whether he was showing that document to other people. Uh, no, uh, and this has been uh, consistent all the way along that it isn't clear whether he's um, uh, sitting down and showing someone the insides of a document, but on each occasion it looks like he's waving the document around and uh, and bragging, if you like. This is what I've got. This is what i got access to. There is can't. one where he showed it, yeah. There is one, uh, and, and part of the... Part of the indictment refers to him showing documents to other people. That's a separate matter, as I understand it. But he does say, look, when I was president, I could just declassify this, but I'm not president anymore, so I can't. Which is kind of, that sort of tells you that he kind of knew the laws, but he kept doing it. Anyway, that'll unfold. I think uh, the uh, prosecutor has, has sought to... Um, delay because all of the lawyers, Jack, now have to, on both sides, now have to sign, um, well, not the Official Secrets Act, that's that's UK, but they all need to, to have, um, and all, all the lawyers involved now have to have security clearance, Jack. Indeed. So it'll be going to be a little while. In fact, the prosecution team has requested a, 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 a delay until December of this year. Meanwhile, Jack, Democracy flourished in Greece. Um, Kyriakos Mitsotakis, the Greek conservative leader, uh, I think about eight, nine weeks ago, he went to the polls, won the election, but didn't get enough seats uh, to form government in his own right, in his, his centre-left party's right. Um, so they went back to the polls, the Greeks, and and uh, it was a very bold move, but it paid off because he's won a majority in the in the Greek parliament. Yes, um, and and one one quite convincingly, I think. Yeah, I was looking at one of his um, former opponents. Um, uh, the, I think I've described him as, as centre left, which is completely wrong. It, it's the new de- new democracy party. It won forty percent of the vote. It's a sort of what we might call conservative right government, uh, and they 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 beat uh, uh, Syriza, which is the left centre left party. Uh, and I was looking at some of Syriza's former members, including a former finance minister who's kind of like your Mediterranean version of Jeremy Corbyn, Jack. Yanis uh, uh, Varoufakis. There you go. There's Yanis indeed, yes. He's, uh, he's indeed, I think, appearing next week with Jeremy Corbyn and many, many others at what really is a sort of old communist um, uh, uh, talk fest. He did suggest that uh, the, uh, the Russians should meet with the Ukrainians and the Americans and Europe, oh, and maybe China as well, he doesn't seem like he's got a very good idea on on how we get to a peace. Um, it's it, it, these guys, you know, Corbyn and um, <coughs> and uh, and others. They, they they talk about a ceasefire, um, uh, and and that seems to be their way of explaining how how that will somehow come to a negotiated settlement. Um, but they're first and foremost, they hate NATO. And uh, and and that's and that's their that's their main thing. Uh, also, an election in Sierra Leone, Jack. Um, and Al Jazeera reported that President Julius Mata Bio has won re-election in Sierra Leone's tenth presidential vote. Uh, he won. No, he won fifty-six percent of the vote, mate. You know, sort of uh, sort of vote that you'd sort of kill for. And uh, and 
and uh, his bio himself is a very interesting fellow. Uh, he was a member of the military, was involved in the coup in Sierra Leone, and that might sort of put him in a in the sort of bad lands, um, but not really. Um, uh, he he cancelled a China funded four hundred million dollar loan agreement. Uh, that had been made with the previous president of Sierra Leone. In his first two months in office, um, uh, he opened an ongoing review and audit of all government mining contracts, ministry departments and other government agencies. Um, Bio sacked all of Sierra Leone's ambassadors and permanent representatives abroad in the immediate post-government of his predecessor, Ernest Bicaroma. And in his first two months in office, Bio appointed his cabinet ministers, including the appointment of an opposition leader who served brief, briefly as the country's eternal, uh, sorry, attorney general and minister of justice. He sounds like a decent human being, Jack. Uh, yeah, he certainly Eliminated does. application fees for students in government-run public universities. Um, uh, free education for primary and secondary school students, which is really, really important in, a, in an African country. Uh, I think he's a, he's he's a leader to watch, Jack. Um, yeah, in the in the in the list of African leaders, he stands out a bit, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, one to watch, one to watch. In uh, uh, in the US in twenty twenty four, presidential election, congressional elections coming in November next year. The US Supreme Court. Uh, has rebuffed a legal theory favoured by many conservatives that could hand sweeping power to state legislatures to establish rules for presidential and congressional elections. The justices in a six to three decision, authored by Conservative Chief Justice John Roberts, ruled against Republican state legislators in a case arising from a legal fight over their map of North Carolina's North Carolina's fourteen U.S. House of Representatives districts. The states top court last year blocked the map as unlawfully biased against Democratic voters. Gee whiz, Jack, has the SCOTUS got something right in the United States? Um, well, if you killing look at Jeremy the current, Harris, that's there's a whole lot of cases doing. coming through SCOTUS at the moment, um, and, uh, and the New York Times ran a, a poll of what people thought of the issues, and SCOTUS is not very far away from the... From the um, from the popular view, if you like, or where they're likely to end up is not very far away from the popular view. This is a bit of a try on by um, uh, um, by some uh, conservative, mainly conservative, but not all uh, theorists that they could um, uh, to run try and run past the Supreme Court to firm up the powers of state legislatures, and it just didn't work. And, and what we're talking about is, and, and what they really want to do is, is essentially create, redraw their electoral maps and create gerrymanders. To allow state legislatures to do this, which mm. of course um, will benefit, um, uh, we, we would have benefited the Republican Party in that state. <clears throat> and if the power was granted by the Supreme Court, would have benefited Democrat legislators in other states, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> No, it has been knocked on the head. So, yeah, uh, and that's much the, more, that's a much more that. far-reaching um, uh, SCOTUS decision is due this week or next week. Next week, I think it will be now on the um, uh, uh, college admissions case um, on whether um, uh, race can be taken into account in, in college admissions, and that will have much more consequence, I would think. 
Um, and again, the New York Times um, uh, poll showed that the, the population, including a majority of Democrats, a significant majority of Democrats, are opposed to using race um, in administration to colleges. Um, and um, there will be people who will be upset with the Supreme Court decision, um, but um, I think the majority of people will be happy with it. All right. Well, we're going to um, we'll definitely cover that when the, the decision is handed down. We just briefly want to talk about COVID lockdowns, Jack, and education. Uh, basically, performance, and this is US data, I presume. Performance has fallen significantly is, yeah. among students, and we're talking about young adolescents fallen significantly since the 2019-2020 school year when the coronavirus pandemic wrought havoc on the nation's education system. The downward trends reported uh, reported earlier this week began years before the health crisis, raising questions about a decade of disappointing results for American students. The federal standardised test, known as NAEP, was given last fall and focused on basic skills. The 13-year-old scored an average of 256 out of 500 in reading and 271 out of 500 in math, down from average scores of 260 in reading and 280 in math three years ago. So what we're saying is lockdowns were bad for kids. And, um, and predictably enough, uh, where they were bad for kids, they were particularly bad for, um, for kids from low-income uh, and minority families. understand. But, I mean, what, what I, there's a lot of revisionism here. I'm not suggesting it's the case here, but there's a lot of revision, re- revisionism of, of, of um, pandemic uh, responses from governments and... It's all seems to be based on the assumption that a pandemic would come and no one would be harmed by it, and that's and that's and that's the thing. I mean, it's a pandemic. It's it, it, it's a major world event. A lot of people will die and had have have died, um, and and uh, and we look at this response as if as if we you know the the government responses around the world and say well. You know, really, should no one should have been affected by that, and that's absolute rubbish. I mean, you know, you just—it's a pandemic, and people were going to be going to die, people were going to be inconvenienced, and there were going to be social consequences. The problem we have in our perception here is to look at this and say, let's blame that person, that person, or that government, and that minister or that, uh, that uh, Secretary of Education for, uh, for, the pan- for, for, for pandemic management or for the pandemic and its consequences. Yeah, I, I think it's quite healthy to look at this again, and I think it's quite healthy to blame the politicians who um, I think some of them, quite a few of them, um, uh, listened too much to medical experts and didn't say, okay, Yep, there are, you know, people are going to die. There's not much we can do about all of that. We can't prevent people from dying. Yes, we can. Um, yes, we can. And, and, and this is the issue. Well, sorry, we can't prevent people from dying. We can prevent people from dying. We can lock them down and stop infection and, well, or, or well, reduce infection. Yes. Well, the, lock, the, the lockdowns didn't. You can't say we didn't, we're not going to stop people dying. I mean, because well, you can. And, did, did, and, did people and, die with lockdowns? Hey. Did people die with lockdown? People still die, Jack. Yes, that's, I mean, that's this is my, what I'm talking about. Point. There's this, this alternate universe that says, 
that, that says, all right, here's the pandemic and this is how it unfolded. This is how many people died. This is how many young students were affected by, by lockdowns, by, by, by being prevented from going, attending schools, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's like the alternative is, you know, that it would have all been beautiful and nothing would have happened. I mean, no, it's it was, just it, it, it's, no, it's, it's, it's an argument it, within within a vacuum because uh, if you're talking about well, we're just just on vaccinations alone, 165,000 Americans died when they had an opportunity to take a vaccine, but they didn't. Right. So, so that was based on a whole raft of misinformation about dangerous vaccines and all this sort of stuff. We never really look at the alternative. The alternative, if you had have simply opened up your societies. I mean, we look at Sweden, for example, and Sweden's often dragged out by conservatives and idiots who think uh, lockdowns were, were really, really bad. You have a go and have a look at their educational responses, Jack. They're just as bad because it's a pandemic and it was and it has social consequences. Um, and, and, of course, we can talk about Swedish death rates and all that sort of stuff too because they had a much, much higher death rate than we did in Australia, for example, yeah. where we did have lockdowns. The, the role of government is not to listen to chief medical officers. The role of government is to say, um, what are the risks and consequences of everything we're going to do and to weigh that up? And I think they failed. Well, I don't know what you expected them to do, Jack. Did you did you expect teachers to go into schools and become COVID infected and die? I mean, you know, that, that, that was that was that, that that should be something of concern. But the the, the alternate argument is we, we, everything we, would have been beautiful if we, we hadn't have gone into lockdown. Nothing bad would have occurred, and of course it would have. We would have had multiple infections, far worse. Than uh, than were the case than were than were than were the case with lockdowns. There's a lot of bullshit going on. I think that's an assertion, no more than an assertion that we would have had a lot. What are you talking about? You're talking about an infectious disease. You're talking about the control of an infectious disease, the control of the spread of an infectious disease. And what I'm saying is the lockdowns in a lot of places were ineffective. We expected supermarket workers to go to work. Tell me where. Don't just say ineffective. A lot of lockdowns were ineffective. Oh, Tell oh, me where. Oh, six six lockdowns in, in in Victoria were ridiculous. Okay, they might have been they might have been too long, and they might have relied on 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 getting to no community infections, which is a yes, sort of bizarre which number. Is a, a bizarre but, idea. But if that, you go bizarre, the other way, that's that's well, that's a perfect example. The idea that you would seek to have. Zero community infections. I understand that, and I agree with it. It's just a mistake because you're harming your economy and you are harming people in pursuit of a, 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 of a stupid. But I understand that, but the, that's but precisely. The, but the critics the like yourself thing. of lockdowns do yes. not understand or seem to be blind to the fact that an infectious disease would have been running rampant through our communities and it killing people at the rates that it did. Right. Killing, killing people at, at, at rates by about 10, by about 10. And we can see this because we look, we can look at, we look, can look at countries and uh, we can, we can look at jurisdictions that didn't have lockdowns. And then we see the numbers of people, uh, the numbers of people who died or suffered serious ongoing illness. And, 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 and those things seem to be taken out of the equation, Jack, for some strange reason. I've never seen them taken out of the equation. Well, no, no, they need to be put in. You, you need to say if you didn't have lockdowns, you would have to accept that your mortality rate was going to be far higher. 
Now, in the end, you'd have to say, gee, the ev- what do the, we the, do? The evidence As for that is what do thin, we do? Do I've we balance? Do we balance uh, a thirteen the the, the 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 educational standards of thirteen year olds against having a death rate, a death rate that's 10, 15, 20 times higher? Oh, well, I'd need, I, I would need to see some evidence that that, that lockdown saved a ten times um, uh, death rate. I'm not, well, not saying anything well, like that. Well. Let, Okay, tell me. Tell, you, you want to tell me about mortality rate in India? Do you know? Because I no. can tell you the mortality <laughs> the mortality rate in India, where essentially no lockdowns were were, were established, um, uh, they had they had a mortality rate around about one percent. Here's yeah. what in Australia the mortality rate was in in the percentile. It was in the fractions of one percent. So that's just you know there are there are all sorts of variables and I'm not trying to ignore them. Yeah, but in I mean, the come in, on, India, India and Australia is a ridiculous comparison. I mean, well, we, we about, had no lockdowns. I'm talking about mortality rate where there were no, but well, and 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 people have people have sort of and I've looked at Sweden very very closely, very very closely. What they had there and still to this day have is a mortality rate or a sorry not mortality rate we won't say that actual deaths. Actual deaths that um, are compared with Australia are about five times ours. Yeah, five times ex- ours. All overall, in the elderly communities. All in the elderly communities. Excess, most of them. Over, the Swedish overall excess deaths, not just COVID, but everything, um, uh, is very, very low. And that's the real that's measure. Post pandemic, so you're deaths so from everything. That, and, and that's another, and, and that's another little red herring. <laughs> so we're talking about. We're talking about there is actually no direct link between uh, excess deaths and lockdowns. You, you cannot possibly argue that, that there is that basically where we have high rates of excess death, they are occurring all around the world. And that, be, that, and that, be, that, that occurs because COVID infection has... Uh, ha- ha- creates high risks in terms of uh, cardiovascular d- disease, in, in terms of cardiothrombotic uh, disease, in terms of dementia among the elderly. These things are working across the board. It, we, we're looking at the wrong things here because we're, we're still battling about or whether we should have had lockdowns or not when we really should be looking at the long-term consequences of multiple COVID infections, just like yourself, Jack. Because you yeah. immediately go into higher risk categories in terms of in terms of those things that I'm talking about. I mean, and and there are a whole raft of studies to show this. I mean, we had a senator in this country grill uh, Atagi people and, and, and trying to claim that the vaccine was causing dementia, and and it doesn't. I mean, what we saw in cardiothrombotic events, the higher risks of of uh, of, of diabetes. Um, we see this as a consequence of COVID infection, and yes, it is higher among those who are unvaccinated. But the the this, the ongoing health problem continues that you've got people with higher rates of serious illness as a result of COVID infection, and often multiple COVID infections. Yeah, well, so that's well, what actually, we go. you can't deal with these things in a vacuum. I actually think the excess deaths overall is the best figure to look at because the the figures as to who died um, of or with COVID are rubbery, um, whereas the excess deaths over the the usual pattern 
Uh, the ones excess to that usual pattern um, is a um, is a stronger statistical measure. Anyway, we'll we'll sort measure of measure of out. what measure of uh, what uh, it's a, a measure system. of a measure of the consequences a of, a good of COVID infection. A, a measure of a good response or a bad response. No, no, no. It's not. It's not that at all. It is a me- <laughs> it is a measure of that 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 COVID infection inc- increases your risk of cardiovascular disease of cardiothrombotic disease, it increases risk among the elderly of, di- of, uh, of, of dementia. Um, and these things are all obtained in studies, Jack. They're all available. Go and have a look at them. Go and have a read on them. Yeah, well, tell me again about India. Uh, anyway, uh, let's go to the sport. All right. Yeah, well, we had a night of test cricket, first day test at Lords. We need to talk about that because Ben Stokes, Looked at a green wicket. Looked at an overcast. Looked at overcast conditions and uh, won the toss and breached the the immutable law of the universe and put Australia into bat and it didn't pan out. It must be said that Pat Cummins was going to do the same, so it was a good toss, toss to lose. Australia uh, lost a couple of late wickets uh, uh, last night. Of course, uh, we'll be playing. There'll be more tests played by the time this come, by the time this podcast comes out. What I saw from last night's play, Jack, is that on paper at least, Australia is a much better side than England and it has better bowl. Its bowlers are better to start. They have a better bowling attack. Um, and I saw, well, at the, end of, at the end of the day's play yesterday, Broad and Anderson, no wickets. Um, <clears throat> and bowling, it would have to be said, half rat power. Hmm. Did yep. you see any of the play? I saw a bit of it, yeah. yeah. Travis Head came out and did what he what Travis Head does. Um, they scored it. Uh, they scored a rate of uh, four, just over four and over, Jack. So uh, Osball, maybe. Yeah, I'm ge- generally reluctant to say uh, our bowl on, on a pitch that our bowlers are better until our bowlers bowl. But um, yeah, no, um, it was a good. Was a, certainly a very good day for Australia. The first decisive ser- sessions of the of the series so far. Uh, well, um, second second session was even more overwhelming. Lost one wicket that of Dave Warner, who batted really well, really well for his sixty odd, um, and um, and then and then Smith um, uh, Smith uh, sort of piled on the pain. He's 80, 85, not out at the moment. Came out and his first ten balls, he just just basically I think every every ball's a scoring shot pretty much. Um, looks in. Uh, it looks in very, very good form. I look at Australia's batting. I look at England's batting. I see England has a very strong middle order, um, uh, and that's possibly where they have a, an advantage. Uh, I look at uh, Australia's top three, and then I uh, look at England's top three, and I see Australia having an advantage there. And then I look at the bowling, uh, and I see Australia's a far more uh, a far deeper attack, so there's, there's plenty in the wings. Scott Boland missed out, desperately unlucky not to be playing in the Lord's Test. Uh, we've got Michael Neeser in the wings as well, who's a hell of a good bowler, and I, I will say right now will come out and make an impact in this series. Their, their bowling strength is is where it's going to be, um, and, and that's just where they look stronger. I mean, England might come out and blaze away tonight when they get a chance, um, but... 
I mean, I, I, I watched, a, watched a lovely little clip on Instagram and the Indian cricketers being asked, who would you most like from the Australian side to come into, come into the Indian side? And you know who they answered? Almost without exception, Pat Cummins. And Cummins just works and works and works. Smart bowler. There, It's the best attack in the world. I think it's the best side in the world. I think they're about to prove it. Well, come on, talk. Yeah, I know well, no, got I think that's a, you're going to get a reasonable assessment. Here. You're not taking fucking Trappist vows. <clears throat> no, no, I think that's a reasonable assessment. I mean, I, um, um, I was asked a, a week or so ago, or after the last test, <clears throat> what I thought about baseball now, and I thought, well, um, uh, baseball was a success in in this sense that uh, it enabled a, um, a slightly inferior side. Um, to get within half an hour of beating a better side. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think England are playing a good attacking form of cricket, but I don't know that it's sustainable in the end uh, if you don't have the batsman to back it up. They have Joe Root, who's probably the best bat in the world at the moment. I think he's ranked number one at the moment, but that changes all the time. Um, uh, and then I, I see Harry Brooks, who looks to be a real talent, and then I don't see a whole lot else. Um, <clears throat> you know, Zach Crawley averages, I think, what, 28 in test cricket. And he's opening the batting. Um, oh, Bairstow's a talent. Yeah, look, Bairstow gets the job done with a bat often enough. Um, you, you wouldn't give him the gloves, though, Jack. You wouldn't give him the yes, gloves. Yes, that was, that, that was the moment for me um, of, the, of the test day yesterday when the Just Stop Oil uh, protesters... <clears throat> Um, uh, ran onto the pitch, um, uh, two of them, and um, Bearstow picked up one uh, and carted him off the uh, off the ground. And, and immediately on Crick Info, someone made the comment um, that Ben Folks would have caught them both. <laughs> Cricky Ponning must have been watching Crick Info because he said, you know, there was a. Pretty good catch from me. He didn't go quite down that far, but he said it was a pretty good catch from Besto. <laughs> he was a bit surprised that he didn't put him down. But um, um, yeah, so uh, look, great cricket again. But uh, look, it just it, it, Australia just look a, a stronger side for mine with greater depth uh, with both bat and ball. Probably less in batting, but the bowling is just super strong. Uh, and you can open up that uh, England side. Their top three don't look all that flash to me. Bit Ollie of cricket Pope, to play, yeah. Ollie Pope, uh, number three, uh, the number their number three, basically went down with a shoulder injury. I don't know if he came back on the field. I didn't see him, but he went straight off after he uh, dived for uh, to, to stop a ball in the field, backward point, and, uh, and he's had some shoulder problems in the past. So we'll have to watch and see if he's going to play a part in the game. Um, uh, Rian Ahmed was picked in the squad. He's not been not in the uh, playing list. They went with the four uh, they went with the four seamers the UK. Rian Ahmed uh, has played 11 first class games. He's played one test, took 737 including a 5 for 48 against Pakistan in Karachi. Uh, again, there was there was a terrible sameness to the attack. Uh, um, from uh, from England last night, I thought I thought uh, Josh Tong uh, was uh, was as, was as, was the pick of the bowlers actually the bloke they bought in, and the rest of them mate they're bowling half rat power. 
And the ball was um, swinging around a bit early and then it stopped and that was that. Yeah, I would have picked um, – I, I was really, really impressed. I, I watched a fair bit of the Karachi test and I was really, really impressed with um, uh, with Ahmed. Um, I'd have picked him. You know, they it, would have gone it, after him, so it would yeah. have been a challenge. But I, I yeah. tend to agree with you. I think that's the sort of – if they're going to be – He's a very impressive cricketer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was out in the field and – Got a bit of a gobful from Stuart Broad when he well, he didn't miss field. He just, you know, ball was hit past him and Broad wasn't very happy with it. Um, but, yeah, looks looks the goods. It, certainly the Australian batters would have gone after him uh, and it would have been – would have been a, 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 a you know a great thing to watch. Australian yeah, batters I, tend to go okay against leggies. He he bowls a lot of flip. He bowls a lot of googlies, so that means it, it would put a bit of pressure on the uh, the, the left handers. In yeah, the he doesn't line. he doesn't turn the ball very far. Uh, he just turns it far enough, but he turns it both ways. Yeah. Um, and um, and not even the Pakistanis could reliably pick him um, or consistently pick him well enough. Um, uh, so he ran through them. A five for on debut um, at eight. I mean, he's the youngest ever Test debutant for, for for England. Now, Jack, we got yes. Oh, look, I, uh, look, looking forward to seeing him play for England. Um, look, one of our listeners, uh, Chris. Thank you, Chris, for your letter. He said, "Good morning, gentlemen. After doing my best to watch both Ashes matches recently, good on you. I did the same. I thought, how, how about a Test match of combined women and men's teams? Uh, obviously, you'd include both players of the match if we were going to pick a side. So that would be Sophie Gardner, Usman Khawaja." The bowlers would be a McGrath. I'm just trying to think of her first name and I can't at the moment. Garth, Lyons and Cummins. Keeper, Carey just edges out Healy with a bat. Gee, I, I think I'd have Alyssa Healy in the side. Uh, batters, Mooney, Litchfield, all-rounder, Perry Sutherland, 12th man, Green. So the final team would be Kawaja, Mooney, Litchfield. She's the uh, the young gun, uh, just just uh, making her way in test cricket now. Elise Perry at four. Gee whiz, Stephen Smith doesn't get a Guernsey, mate. Uh, Sutherland, Carey, Gardner, McGrath, Vice Captain Garth. Uh, the uh, uh, the uh, I think she was uh, an Irish Irish born now playing in Australia. Uh, uh, quick and Cummins, the captain with Lions at number eleven. Um, and uh, Ashley Gardner, well, she can bowl offies as well, can't she? So she did all right. Did all right in the first test. So. Um, what do you think of that idea, Jack? Um, uh, it's about as bad an idea as all of these ones, are, all of these lists are. Uh, look, I think there's a role for this in T20 uh, to have combined sides, and I think Steve Wars talked about this, um, that you could actually do it in a T20 context, and uh, I think there'd be great interest in that. Yeah, um, it sort of, sort of reminds me of the father-son teams in, um, uh, in tennis or something. Yeah, look, I can't see an Australian cricket team, to be perfectly honest with you, Chris, with no Stephen Smith in it. He scored his 9,000th run at 59 with, I think, 31, with 31 tons. No, he, he's in. He's, he's pretty much all time in. Um, yeah, but a nice um, idea. I, I actually think this has got merit in the short and, short and form of the game. Yeah, it'll be a novelty item like the mixed doubles are in tennis these days. 
Uh, I did want to touch very briefly on the NRL and particularly State of Origin, Jack. Uh, Queensland have gone to zip up. Is it time we put Tasmania in uh, in the mix there too? Because New South Wales is getting flogged every year and they'll likely go out in straight sets this time. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe we should throw the Tasmanians in, uh, and uh, they've got an AFL side. Maybe they should, maybe should have a, an NRL side and play against uh, the Maroons, who are just belting New South Wales for fun at the moment. Um, and uh, in the AFL, Jack, uh, there's been just a little bit of uh, controversy about the sling tackle. And you see one, you think, gee, that's that's a pretty dangerous tackle, or sling dang dangerous tackle, and uh, and that person gets off. And uh, and then you see another one. You think it's not so bad, and that person gets a week. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of consistency around the um, around the uh, uh, the old tribunal. What do they call it now? The match review panel. Match review. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of consistency there. Uh, I thought I, I thought on. I thought we sorted this out a few weeks ago. The problem is um, the umpires um, are, are letting players stand up in the tackle so long that the, the tackling player has no alternative to, but to put the player on the ground. Yeah, I noticed, Jack. Um, and, that and, and there's no way of doing that gently and yeah, consistently. You, you used to hear the commentators talk about the 360, that the, 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 the player yeah. who was tackled would go a full circle. I did notice a bit of change on that. Uh, over the weekend where there were a few holding the ball uh, calls made by umpires. Maybe there is. Maybe they're listening, Jack. Maybe they're listening to us. Um, uh, uh, the other issue so, is So if you interpret the rule in a way that the only way you get a whistle is to put the player on the ground, don't then complain because he's put on the ground with a fair bit of force. Well, yeah, that's just it. I mean, you know, players have been told to tackle with real aggression and they can't sort of mid-tackle go, oh, I better just, you know, lightly pop this bloke on the deck, bum down. It's just, it just can't be done. Um, so it is very difficult. I did see that uh, a US neurologist who's also, uh, you know, had, had the history, uh, history in sports had, had came to the country to address um, uh, basically sports administrators on how we are supposed to deal with this from a rules-based point of view. And uh, his comment was that uh, you see all of these sports groups, whether it's the NHL, NFL, AFL, whatever it is, uh, they're very reluctant to come to the party on, on uh, concussion-type issues and then they realise they have to do it. Um, mm. And so he's put forward a series of protocols. I might just sort of drag them out. We'll have a look at them next week. But this is a major issue for all contact sports, CTE and uh, the business of um, uh, the, the business of repeat concussions, particularly because we see our players, our great heroes, in such distress later in life. So we'll get to that and the whole issue of CT as we go. Jack, take us out with something silly. Uh, this is from uh, um, uh, uh, the I think he's the theatre and um, uh, film critic for the Wall Street Journal these days, Kyle Smith. Um, uh, on Twitter, the fact that we have not one but three outrageous serial fabulists running for President of the United States and getting lots of support right now ought to tell us something about the decay of truth in the US. Well, that was quite good. That's but the, very but the fun- good from a theatre critic, Jack. Well, he, he, he's written on all sorts of stuff, but that's his current job. Right. Um, he's a... He's a 
military man, scholarship boy to Yale um, as a lawyer as well, I think. Um, but um, but now so who is free? I mean, we've got Trump. We've got Trump. I presume he meets Joe Biden. And who's his third fabulist? Well, the one who's getting a fair bit of support, um, uh, Robert Kennedy. Oh well, of course, yeah. Well, he's not not getting very much support. He's he's just did an interview with Joe Rogan, Jack. You know that that's not support. Yeah, well, when Joe still, Rogan, I, I think when Joe Rogan was just presented with a with a statement that childhood vaccinations cause autism by Bobby Kennedy, and he just Rogan, that idiot, just sat through it, just sat through it, and didn't even query it. Well, I, th- I think Kennedy's still on eighteen percent of the Democrat party. No, he dropped, he's, the, mate. He's, he's dropped down a bit, mate. People have actually had a look at him now. I think he's down about fifteen yeah. percent at the moment. Well, he's still um, a long way in front of the third place getter. Um, he's the only viable alternative at the moment. Um, yeah. but the funniest thing on Twitter all week was that Reuters did a study, um, a genealogical study of Joe Biden and every other living president. Um, and discovered that all bar one of them were descended from slave owners. Um, and the exception uh, of the living presidents um, and Joe Biden was Donald Trump, um, because the Trumps arrived from um, uh, Germany and Lithuania, I think, after Germany, the abolition yeah. of, of slavery. Um, uh, so all of the others, um, uh, Biden, uh, Clinton, Carter, uh, Barack Obama, um, uh, and George W. Bush uh, all had slave owners in their genealogical background, uh, and Donald Trump was the only one who didn't. Um, Kyle Smith again jumped in and said, "Ah, does this mean that Barack Obama um, would not would be liable to pay reparations, but wouldn't be entitled to them because he's not descended? He, he's, the, he's the he's descended from slave yeah, owners, okay, yeah, but wasn't yeah, descended from the slave." Uh, yeah, fair enough. Okay, um, all right. Well, that takes us out for the two jacks on this day, the 29th of June, 2023. Thank you for your time, Jack, and uh, and good luck with the uh, heart procedure tomorrow. And uh, and it sounds like you're over the COVID league. A few little, a uh, few little coughs and and uh, and what have you, but it seems like you're over the COVID league. Watch out for uh, that. Well enough. Um, and, well, uh, and we just want to well enough to out. sit in the catheter lab tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, good luck with that. Hope it all goes very, very well for you. And uh, look, just a reminder to our listeners: if you want to uh, make a contribution to the program, if you want to make a criticism, or make, uh, or indeed give us a pat on the back, drop us a line. You can get Hong Kong Jack on Jack uh, Hong Kong Jack dot yeah, well done with your COVID-addled mind. You could still come up with that. And if you want to get hold of me, uh, my DMs are always open. That's Jack the Insider, uh, oh, at Jack the Insider on Twitter, or you can drop us a line on the conditional release program uh, at gmail.com. Thank you very much for your time, listeners, and we'll be back next week. See ya.